Hi everyone. I hope everybody is doing well. Sorry for the delay. Um, I just um, stepped out of uh, my appointment with the knee surgeon that did the surgery on my knee and it took a bit longer. So that's why I, um, you know, I know we're supposed to start the live uh, at two o'clock, but um, yeah, now starting it uh, seven minutes later. Um, yeah, so today we have a live session with Aaron Apke. Let's see. Let's see. Oh, hi, Aaron. Hi, Mira. How are hi. you? Did I just hear you say you had knee surgery? Oh, Aaron, it's been a <laughs> very intense. <laughs> Life experiences for we me. We could have rescheduled. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know actually what happened? Um, in December, I had a really bad skiing accident and completely destroyed my knee. It was uh, supposed well, to happen yeah. because I needed to slow down. <laughs> um, yeah, because I was very like physically active and running too much and, you know, like working out a lot and stuff. And then yeah. it was just yeah. in the middle of my this spiritual awakening experience that I had and I needed to slow down to speed up my spiritual process, I think. <laughs> so, All in divine um, timing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think everything happens for a reason. And today it was like yeah. five months after my knee surgery. So I had, it was like a seven hour surgery where I just like, they uh, reconstructed the knee, removed all, like uh, put the donor's ligaments, all four of them. Uh, because I destroyed them. Meniscus, I don't know if you know the anatomy, uh, like the capsule, yeah, everything. My yeah. Was, yeah, and uh, the doctor today told me that my knee heals like in a perfect uh, way and he's never seen oh, it nice. healing this way. I was like, my meditations really work. <laughs> yeah, so, no joke. Yeah, and he said like, usually the result I have for people it's like in a year and I'm only five months after the surgery so which is wow. uh, great news so it's again it approves it confirms the fact that our spirituality our mental health it means a lot it means a lot yeah. because uh, it's, it's who we are and that is just expression uh, manifestation and physical world of our inner state of being so yeah but, anyways Thank you so much for joining and sorry for talking too much at the beginning. <laughs> no, I'm very uh, glad to be here with you. Yeah, so how about if we start from introduction? Um, I was looking forward to this live session and discussing with you ego and illusion of separation. You've done such an amazing job uh, with explaining, you know, the law of one and, you know, what it is and what's ego. And I've been following you on Instagram for a long time. So let's start from... Um, introduction you can introduce yourself and then i always like to hear people's stories on their awakening spiritual awakening experience because it's very unique for everybody and then we can jump into the discussion of ego sure yeah so you just want a little background on how i got here yes absolutely yeah. i was born and raised a pastor's kid uh wanted to be a pastor like my father was very very devout and sincere in my christian religion and at 23, I took my first church job at a church that was uh, radically more fundamentalist than the church I grew up in, which caused me to question a lot of the traditional beliefs that I 
had spent most of my life just kind of sweeping under the rug and ignoring um, hell, the rapture, biblical inerrancy. So I had this awakening out of my religion, which kind of catapulted me into pursuing Eastern traditions of uh, Advaita Vedanta and a lot of different Buddhism philosophies. And then uh, at 27, had a pretty profound um, sort of spiritual awakening experience that lasted for about two weeks, uh, being in a very much sort of samadhi state for about two weeks. And after coming out of that, uh, I just, you know, I was in a really dark place for many years seeking for answers, which led me to that experience. And so once I'd had that taste of true, you know, liberation from, from the mind, it was like nothing else really mattered anymore. And I just wanted to devote all my life to figuring out how to return to that state of consciousness permanently. Because, you know, once you glimpse it, it's like, really, what else is there worth living for? So I was, you know, full-time fitness modeling, bodybuilding, and personal training at the time and just sort of walked out of my life and quit everything overnight and just started studying and pursuing uh, these kind of teachings, which eventually led me to just start making some YouTube videos about them and the, uh, from the healing I had found, just wanting to share that with others. And to my surprise, kind of took off more than I thought it would and sort of led me to where I am now. <laughs> Sorry. Awesome. That's a great story. Thank you for sharing that. So now you are doing, um, you know, sharing your experiences with the humanity full time, right? Yeah, full time. Mm -hmm. Awesome. That's amazing. I know how, yeah. it, how it feels, you know, when you wake up, you want to really deliver what you feel to people and, and let them know that there is a, life is possible without suffering and without yeah. pain, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, well, um, the first question that I wanted to ask you, um, uh, so let's discuss ego. How would you define what's ego and, um, you know, ego in, in how it's explained in Law of One? Sure, yeah. Well, so firstly that was my big question for a long time was what exactly is this ego thing? Because, you know, Buddhism is very clear that the ego is the cause of all human suffering. And, you know, in modern day spiritual circles or YouTube videos that I would watch, I kept hearing all of these definitions for ego that were really confusing and they were just mm -hmm. passed around. Like they were considered facts. Right. But they were so frustratingly um, almost contradictory to me that I was left really wanting to find a solid answer for that question of what is this ego thing that I'm trying to transcend? Because one group of people says, oh, you can't transcend your ego, man. Come on. You need a healthy ego. I'm like, hmm, well, that's not what the Buddha said. And I think he probably knows better than you do. And uh, <laughs> another... Another group of people will say, well, the ego is your, your sense of self is your ego. And I would go, what? My sense of self is what I'm trying to transcend? Well, gosh, I don't even know how I would do that. <laughs> so through this sort of frustrating inquiry, um, it was really the experience I had at 27 years old where the, the epiphany that I experienced um, from that awakening was that ego is essentially nothing but this kind of rapid, relentless mental activity of identifying with everything. Mm -hmm. So 
I understood in that moment why certain spiritual teachings will say things like the ego doesn't exist. Like, mm -hmm. well, then why is it the cause of suffering is if it doesn't exist? And I understood what that statement means is that the ego is not an entity that can be pointed to or put on a scale or demonstrated in any real way. It mm -hmm. is just a activity of the mind, which is to claim mm -hmm. everything. That's my thought, my right. action, my feeling. And if you can get behind this mental activity of identifying, you can be free mm -hmm. of ego. So it doesn't mm -hmm. actually matter what's arising in the present moment, whether it's a thought, a feeling or an action, it's only the mm -hmm. act of being identified that causes problems. Mm -hmm. And so that was an understanding of ego that gave me really rapid results in terms of really transcending a lot of these mental patterns and tendencies that were just running the show for so long. Um, mm -hmm. So then secondly, the law of one doesn't actually talk about the ego explicitly. Um, they do ask Ra about the ego in one question and Ra's basic response is, uh, this term is so convoluted in your language that speaking of it would not be helpful. Um, yeah. So which maybe I kind of like people, and agree with. Uh, for people who are not aware of the law of one, uh, maybe you could explain who's Ra uh, and, uh, you know, how uh, in, in our 3D reality we could perceive it, how we could understand it. Yeah. So the Law of One is a channeled text from the 1980s. And channeling is essentially the art of getting into a deep um, trance state, a meditative state, and then tuning into the field of consciousness and sort of turning your mind into like a radio transmitter that can begin picking up signals from other entities that might be wanting to communicate with you, positive or negative. So you've got to have some discernment. But uh, channeling is an art that's been around for thousands of years. And there was a group in the 1980s who was trying to channel extraterrestrials. Mm -hmm. And they, after many years of attempting, they were able to make contact with an entity, an extraterrestrial, that identified mm -hmm. itself as Ra. And as you would imagine, you know, if you think about, man, what would it really be like to have a, a genuine contact with an extraterrestrial? What would that be like? As you can imagine, it would be much different than you would probably think of it, right? It, it would be not something that was in your typical reference frame. And so the first thing that's outside of your reference frame is that Ra is not a single entity like you and I, but mm -hmm. Ra identifies itself as a, what they call a social memory complex. And that is a phenomenon that happens as, as consciousness continues to evolve there becomes the opportunity or possibility at one point when telepathic communication is sort of the, the norm, let's say. If you and I, Mira, can exchange thought through, um, can exchange language through thought alone, then really at a certain point, like what's to stop us from just allowing one another to have full access to our mind right. and all of our mm -hmm. memories and the way we've, all the pain we felt, all the joy. And so at some point, apparently entities begin doing this, sharing their minds um, because of the gravity of love. You know, we have so much love for one another. We want to share our beingness together. We actually open our minds, uh, which is sort of like the greatest act of intimacy, right? That can be done. 
saying, look, have mm-hmm. full access to me. I am you, you are me, no judgment, um, total oneness. And then more yeah. entities begin joining that group mind. And eventually, mm-hmm. at a certain point of evolution, the entire planetary civilization has shared their minds in one giant sort of library. And in that sense, the planet itself mm-hmm. becomes a living entity. Pretty amazing. Right. So Ra is actually the social memory complex from the planet Venus. So when you see the words Ra, as you're reading the law of one, you could actually substitute it for Venus. When Ra Mm -hmm. says, I am Ra, you could read, I am Venus. And that's actually who we're communicating with. So I think it's about Mm -hmm. six and a half million entities uh, joined into one mind that the group uh, was channeling in the Ra contact. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, and then coming back again to the ego concept, you said that mm-hmm. in the law of one, it's not, um, you know, directly explained. Um, so uh, how do they hint on it? How do they still refer to it? Because it's hard to avoid ego, you know. In in Eastern traditions, they like to use the word uh, identity, which is basically, you know, um, intellect, is a sharp knife and identity is the hand that's holding it. That's how, yeah. you know, right. So they, they like to use the word identity, but again, you know, it's very similar to the word ego I find. Right. Because oh yes. Right. Like, like, yeah. Would you say that how they refer to the word identity is similar to how we would refer to the word ego? Yes. Um, you could very much use those two words synonymously. Uh, in the law of one, they, they describe things because, again, these are extraterrestrial beings of a sixth density vibration. So just almost unfathomably more intelligent than we are. So their, yeah. their view of things is so much more quantum than ours that it is a little bit difficult to get on their page. <laughs> um, yes. but, but Ra does a great job at really breaking it down of how they see it. So the orientation of mind is seen by them as the energy centers or the, the energy chakra network because these mm-hmm. seven energy centers uh, in the body sort of make up the energetic makeup of each person, which is the way the mind yeah. will express itself. So they break mm-hmm. down mind into seven, the seven, well, six really categories of the chakras. So right. the ego comes into manifestation at the third chakra or the solar plexus. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, when I said that Ra is a sixth density being, the, the, there's seven densities in consciousness which correlate to the seven chakras. And so mm-hmm. as we access or open each chakra, um, that is essentially a microcosm of the actual density in consciousness, which makes up the whole universe. So... The first density represents the root chakra or the red ray energy center. And the first density is where the universe is just in a state of being, which is the four elements, earth, water, Mm -hmm. fire, air, and then prana or space, if you want to use the fifth element. And, you know, you know, the universe experiences a couple billion years of first density until eventually the the rate of vibration of the photon increases enough to the second density of consciousness. So the Mm -hmm. densities consciousness experiences is directly correlated to how fast the photon can vibrate. Mm -hmm. That's the big point. So a density is like, 
the amount of light contained in a space. Right. So if the density, the vibrations this fast, and it's, you know, let's say three vibrations per second versus three million vibrations a second, you know, there's so much more density of light in that space at three million vibrations a second. So the more light there is, the more data or information there is, the more yeah. ability for consciousness to express itself there is. So as the vibration increases, consciousness can express more of itself. Right. So once consciousness reaches second density, that's where plants and animal life evolve. And that's the mm -hmm. density of awareness, which is the second chakra, uh, the sacral chakra or the orange ray energy center. And that represents like our relationship to self, um, our personal willpower and our relationship to the environment, you know, awareness and movement in the environment. That's the animal nature. And then once consciousness spends a couple more billion years in, in the sort of animal consciousness of second density, eventually it vibrates fast enough to where consciousness becomes self-aware, mm -hmm. which means it understands I exist as a separate entity. Yeah. So now I can actually think and I can think about past and future, you know, what has happened to me in the past, what will happen to me in the future. And mm -hmm. this is where the ego evolves, the sense of self, identity, as you said. And yeah. it's a bit of a, there, there's a veil there because consciousness doesn't yet understand that, that that self that it perceives it is, is actually not a separate individual self, but it is a universal self. It's everything, mm -hmm. right? And uh, yeah. that that only becomes available at the fourth density or the heart chakra, which is called unity consciousness. And that's kind of the precipice that humanity is now on, where we're just beginning to evolve into a fourth density understanding of who we are, which is that we're all one and not separate. Okay. So what happens with the ego at that point? In third density? In the fourth, uh, in, uh, on the level of ah. the heart chakra. Yeah. Well, essentially, ego evolves out of existence at that stage because ego can only exist with the notion that I am an individual, isolated, separate entity. Uh, ego is the belief in separation. And that's what causes tribalism and warfare and all the evils of humankind are a result of ego or a result of the fact that we think we're separate from one another. If, mm -hmm. I, if I think that I'm separate from you, then you are an obstacle to me you're maybe a threat to me, a danger to me. Um, you can be a pawn in my game that I can control and manipulate for my own personal gain. And this is the way right. the ego thinks. It's just kind of Darwinian survival thinking, right? Survival of the fittest. So ego dictates our relationship to the other, relationship to, okay. to social hierarchy. Okay. Um, so, uh, in terms of spiritual ego, I know a lot of people who experience these moments of bliss, moments of spiritual awakening, you know, they get so passionate about delivering this message to humanity that very often, you know, spiritual ego gets involved. Uh, and, um, you know, people get confused a bit and, and get too involved with it. So, what would you say about spiritual ego? Yeah, the... Uh... The cleverest disguise that ego wears, for sure. 
Um, so again, ego is just the mental activity of identifying. So at a certain point in spiritual development, you know, at, at, a, at the beginning stage, it feels like there is a practicer, there's a meditator, there's a learner, there's a seeker, and I'm doing the seeking. I am practicing myself into enlightenment. Yeah. And once there, once real liberation or enlightenment is achieved or recognized, um, the realization is, oh, there's never been somebody practicing or seeking. The universal self has been awakening in this body. It was always the yeah. power of grace. It was always the power of the one self waking up in this body. There's no person who's doing it. So nobody can take mm -hmm. credit for their awakening, right? It, it is literally an act of grace. So in that transition where there seems to be a practicer and meditator, this is where ego gets really clever and tricky because it will it will shapeshift into whatever costume it needs to, to get you to not recognize it. So mm -hmm. it, it loves to wear virtuous costumes. You know, I am the most woke. I am the most spiritual. I am the meditator, this and that. Yeah. And it creates this sense of sort of spiritual pride that I am achieving my own growth and awakening. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, the conundrum is, you know, you, yeah, you can meditate for hours a day, you can achieve deep states of bliss, but you can never meditate yourself out of the belief that I am the meditator. Mm -hmm. Like there's a person who's doing it. There's a, like if you sit down to meditate with this thought or belief that I'm going to meditate in order to get some results out of it, or right. I wanna be more spiritual at the end of this meditation, then you're introducing ego to it, right? You're introducing a yeah. doer who's going to do meditating. And in actuality, true meditation is the absence of a self, right? Mm -hmm. It's silence of mind. It's emptiness of mind. And in the absence of the belief in a self, we experience the one universal consciousness that we are. And that's true meditation, right? So mm -hmm. it, will, it will do this to us along this journey. And everyone inevitably will have to recognize that spiritual ego in themselves because if it doesn't turn you into a you know sort of like charlatan guru who's promising to deliver people enlightenment it's kind of like the worst manifestation of it if it doesn't do that it will turn you into the opposite which is like oh i'll never i can never achieve enlightenment i'll never be free my ego's too big i don't think i'm worthy of this and it'll play either game with you but both are spiritual ego and mm -hmm. what really needs to happen is just a total surrendering to the power of grace and saying, if it be thy will for me to awaken, then awaken me, source. Like I am yours. I give myself up to you. Whatever is your will for me, let it be so. And let not my will get in, get in the way. Because there is no other will than your will. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Beautiful explanation. Thank you so much for that, Aaron. Um, I wanted to um, also briefly talk about karma um because karma is also you know it's um cause and effect right and intention of every action and it's still yeah. so related to the concept of ego as well um so when we talk about karma how would you relate it to the concept of ego yeah yeah you could look at the ego as a, a collection of karma in a sense 
Um, mm, yeah. The way I like to look at karma is, so we all have that sense of I, I am. The, the I is the subject, the knower, the witness. Uh, it is sort of the way that consciousness is experiencing itself as the sense of I. So what ego does is it borrows that sense of I, the universal I that we all are, and then it attaches it to objects. I am this body, I'm this mind, this person, I am the thinker of thoughts. And so then this, it seems like there's a separate self in here because there's all this continuity for it. So karma, you could say, is anything that that universal I gets associated with or identified with. And this happens mm -hmm. in extremely subtle ways. Um, even, even to label something, like when we truly label an object or a person or whatever, that's also a form of identity because the mind is claiming to know it. I know that object. It's a bird and I know what birds are. Moving on. And it's sort of collecting the world in its mind. Like, I know the world. I know all these right. things, what they are. So mm -hmm. that's why enlightenment is an unlearning and not a learning. It's a letting go of everything. Mm -hmm. Understanding you don't know anything and that the world is beyond knowing. The world is, the world is just something that consciousness is doing. It's always, it always begins and ends in mystery. And that's actually the highest state of knowing, mm -hmm. right? So with karma... Mm -hmm. karma is also we could look at it as inertia um, inertia in the mind the more things the I claims the ego claims for the I the more velocity it gains and the more that sense of self is beefed up over time and so A Course in Miracles uh, famously teaches the practice of forgiveness as the means mm -hmm. for eliminating karma because forgiveness, to forgive, you know, another person for what they've done to you, to truly forgive, you actually have to get out of this belief that I am the self that you betrayed. You know, if, if I think that yeah. you betrayed me, Mira, or that you hurt me in some way, I have to first believe that I am a body, a person, a separate self that can be hurt. When my yeah. perception of myself is transcendent and unlimited, I can't be hurt by anyone. So yeah. forgiveness is sort of a way to introduce you to your universal nature, your unbounded nature. And uh, it gets you out of this egoic sense of self because the ego can never forgive. It will always believe that it is the person who was abused and betrayed right. and whatnot. So the law of one also says that forgiveness is the only act that has the power to eliminate karma or shorten the need for karmic experience because true karma is the purpose of karma is to get you out of the belief that I'm a person because karma creates suffering and more suffering and more suffering. And eventually once we suffer enough, we either, I don't know, commit suicide and then start over in the next lifetime. Or we question who is this self mm -hmm. that keeps suffering? Who has all these problems? Is it yeah. really me? I'm not so sure. Maybe I have some wrong views of who I am. And once the awareness begins to question, it can go backwards again towards its true nature, away from the world of objects and separation, and it can find out who it is. So karma is the universal law 
that prevents you from getting too lost in separation. Because the more lost you get, the more karma you accumulate, the more suffering there will be. And the more suffering, the more, the closer you are to questioning who you think you are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a beautiful explanation. Um, so would that be fair to say that karma, basically, it's a memory blocks, illusionary memory blocks that creates illusion of separation between souls, between this individualized con consciousness, which is just one consciousness. But, uh, you know, karma, it just creates this uh, memory blocks, memory walls between people. Yeah, very much so. It's um, you could also look at it as entanglement. Like when yeah, the soul becomes yeah. entangled with the world of duality, that entanglement has to be undone, right. which is to realize I'm not that. I forgive that perception. Mm -hmm. I forgive that idea. I forgive that belief. Um, you never actually mm -hmm. forgive another person because there are no people. <laughs> there are no others. There's just the one consciousness dreaming of itself. And so you realize that and go, oh, yeah. I forgive myself for believing I was separate. I forgive myself for believing I was unworthy. You know, it's really always your own beliefs that you forgive. So I like to see it that way, too, as like in entanglement with the world of duality. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and still in this 3D reality that we're in, having this 3D body, uh, it's hard to, it's actually impossible to get rid of karma because then the energy vibration would be so intense uh, that this 3D body wouldn't be able to keep it, right? So that's how people consciously, you know, if they attain to that level of consciousness and, you know, they can actually consciously exit the body if they go through some sadhana or, you know, they have done some spiritual work where they can, during meditation, you know, for example, Sadhguru's wife, you know, she exited her body consciously during meditation just because the intensity of, you know, uh, of energy vibrations were too intense for this 3D physical body, right? Um, so in terms, any comments on that, Aaron? Yeah, I, I was just going to say that um, many gurus have spoken of this idea that they, they can leave the body anytime they want to, but the possibility for that also like, like Ramana Maharshi or Nizagradatta, you know, that they could, they could have chosen to leave their body in meditation at a very young age, perhaps, but there's also yeah. something about that, that they recognize as, but no reality put me in this body to awaken me for a purpose. I'm here to liberate other beings. So I have a purpose for being here. So although that the possibility is there for them, you know, the vast majority choose not to take that option until they're in very old age and it's clear that their body's time clock is sort of running out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think it's also another type of uh, karma <laughs> on a spiritual materialism in action as well. But uh, people are more aware of it. They are not entangled to it, right? Uh, you know, if they mm -hmm. choose to stay, they awaken, but they choose to stay. It means that they just take it easy. They take their life easy. And, uh, you know, it's another type of karma being played out but it doesn't rule that piece of life, that soul from within anymore, because there is now distance between, you know, karma, between how, what your mind is telling you and between who you are. Right. 
So when the distance right. is created, there's no, there's no you more are no longer pulled by karma. Yeah. There's no more personal involvement with the flow of life. There's just a witnessing yeah. of life unfolding. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you take it easy. <laughs> oh yes. Effortless um, actually. In terms of <laughs> effortless, yes. Um, in terms of um, how the law of one explains two paths of service to self and service to others, um, you know, since we can't get rid of our ego, what we could do is to be aware, to actually become awareness and witness it. Um, in two scenarios, how would ego play out in service to self and service to others? Yeah. This is a really fun topic to discuss, um, I find at least, because the two polarities are just so uh, fascinating to me, the way that consciousness can evolve on two different polarities, actually. And eventually those polarities do collapse and um, the path is merged again. But the whole world of form of manifestation, the whole universe is the interplay of two oppositely polarized energies. So right. the soul can choose and actually third density is for that whole purpose of choosing between the positive and the negative path. And so that's yeah. why we have the veil of forgetting here where we don't remember our past lives. We don't have access to knowing who we are, why we're here. We're just sort of like we awaken in these bodies and we just off you go, you know, make your best decisions. And that's for the purpose of allowing the soul to naturally and authentically gravitate towards the positive polarity or the negative polarity. So mm -hmm. the soul's graduation to the fourth density of consciousness is solely dependent on the, on the soul making that choice. Sorry, Aaron, uh, that looks like connection is getting worse a bit. I don't know if our followers uh, can still hear it us and either it's my internet or your internet uh -oh. i don't know but it's uh, like yeah like it's uh, it's getting very slow um i don't know <laughs> you you are on wi-fi yeah i'm on wi-fi i've got very i pay for very um, good wi-fi <laughs> can you see me can you see me can you hear me yeah you're coming in a little blurry and slow but I, I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying Okay, so you say we hear you both. Okay, let's continue. Sorry, sorry for okay, uh, cool. interrupting. Okay. Good, good. As long as they can hear us, I guess. <laughs> okay. So, um, <laughs> so yeah. So basically, the difference in the two paths is that the negative path makes use of the ego and strengthens the ego to continue on the negative polarity, whereas the positive path uses the ego to transcend separation and sort of catapult itself into unity consciousness. So the ego serves as the catalyst for both polarities, but it's utilized in very opposite ways. So the negative path, here's the primary distinction, which I find very interesting. Both paths acknowledge the truth of oneness, that there is only one being in the universe, but the negative path, mm -hmm takes the position that, well, since there's only one being, I am that one being, everything else is just a dream character in my mind. Like nobody right. else exists but me. And so with that perception of the universe, you polarize negatively by 
conquering and dominating the other dream characters to create as much power for yourself as you can. And so the negatively polarized being seeks to use others to um, sort of serve them, enslave underneath them, become their servants and they're the masters. And it's like every time that they conquer a character in the dream, they become even more godlike in the dream. They realize their godlike mm -hmm. nature of the dream. And the positive polarity takes the opposite um, approach to unity, which says if there is only one being, then that one being is experiencing everything simultaneously. So everyone else I see is myself having a different experience. And so if the soul takes that perception of reality, it will polarize by treating others as it would treat itself, the golden rule. And so mm -hmm. both are equally valid choices. Neither one's right or wrong, but they do have very different sort of consequences in consciousness. And uh, as Ross says, the negative path is substantially more difficult to evolve on because of the requirements, so to speak, for polarization. Mm -hmm. Hello? Aaron, can you still hear yep. me? Yeah, I can. Okay. Yeah, they, the, the followers are saying that you look blurry a bit, but they still can hear us. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know what's happening with the connection today, but maybe it's me because <laughs> I'm on, on 5G, <laughs> 3G. Is Mercury um, still in retrograde? Yeah, so in terms of... <laughs> what's that? I said, is Mercury still in retrograde? Can you repeat that? I said, is Mercury still in retrograde? Am I not coming really through now? Really bad connection. My goodness. Um, Bummer. Okay. Uh, well, yeah. Now, the guys, can you hear us? We hmm. can hear. There is no problem. Okay. Well, since I cannot hear Aaron, <laughs> oh, everybody can hear Aaron, I cannot. Hi, Aaron, again. Can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you just fine. We are still in the shadow, though. Uh-huh, went direct yesterday. Well, um, uh, let's, uh, for those people who want to be more aware of you know, their ego or their identities or, or you know, uh, who want to create some space between who they think they are and who they truly are, what practices would you recommend? What would be a good place to start? I think the best place to start, <clears throat> I mean, this is sort of where I started, was suffering always felt so sort of out of place for me, like this could truly be my real nature to suffer like this. Uh, surely something has gone wrong. And so I just kind of took that position after, you know, reading enough okay. non-duality teachings that say, hey, you are the self. You never suffer. You are free already. And I said, all right, well, doesn't feel true, but let me just mm -hmm. pretend like that's true and begin aggressively questioning everything that causes me to suffer. Like, let me just stop taking it seriously mm -hmm. 
I just assume that it's all an illusion. And if I question it long enough, I'll see where the illusion is. And so this practice is, you could call it self-inquiry. When there is a thought that causes lots of pain mm -hmm. and suffering, you don't need to really try to work out the thought or the story, but just question the one who believes the story, right? Question the self mm -hmm. who finds meaning right. in that story and say, who cares about this so much? Who cares so much about this outcome or this story or this trauma or this belief? And you'll always find that there is no person that cares. It's just an idea in the mind that's been given a lot of belief. It's been invested with lots of interest and belief. And so it has a lot of emotional punch to it. So if you just begin right. refusing to give your belief to stories and saying, no, I am perfect. I want nothing. I need nothing. I'm not going to give my attention to that idea anymore. It, it's very difficult in the beginning because there's, mm -hmm. again, so much karmic inertia to these stories. Because the mind only has right. the energy that you've given to it, right? It only has... It only has the reality you've given to it. So at some point you have to begin taking the oxygen out of the tank that you've given to the ego and suffocating those thoughts of your interest, which is the air that they breathe, right? And so just questioning the person mm -hmm. who suffers, questioning the one who believes is to me the quickest route to the true universal self, which doesn't suffer because it doesn't want anything, it doesn't need anything. It's just pure, infinite love and presence. And it's so happy and so content in this moment that it can't even conceive of desiring something. I mean, that's how free your true nature is. Right. And you can discover that, not by looking for that self, because it's already there, it's already what you are, but just getting yeah. rid of the delusions, right? Getting rid of all the illusions of who you thought you mm -hmm. were eventually the true self just begins to shine forth from you. Mm -hmm. So in the moments, uh, you know, sometimes they talk about the dark night of the soul. Um, I don't know. I personally don't think that the soul can, can ever have a dark night. Uh, you know, for soul takes in everything. Any experience is an amazing thing for a soul. You know, uh, because dark, it means that there is a bright uh, night of the soul, you know, but for soul, there is no duality. So how would you define dark night of the soul? Yeah. The, the, the dark night of the soul that we refer to is really what happens when the when awareness first catches hold of that realization. I'm not this body. I'm not this person. I am something beyond this story character depending on the level of karma mm -hmm. that is present in the mind at the moment of that realization will determine the sort of energetic bomb that goes off in the mind because the mind karma is the mind's weapon against you it's what keeps you pulled into the belief of being mm -hmm. that person so when the mind realizes that you've recognized you're not the mind it will sort of throw everything at you to get you to go back into identification again. So it'll say, oh, look at all these horrible things mm -hmm. you've done. You're such a bad person. Look at these traumas. You've been abused. Your, your sense of self has been so hurt and diminished by all these people. 
And it's trying to get you wrapped up in those stories again, because that's all the person. So it wants you to believe in stories. So people mm-hmm. that have really painful dark nights of the soul, it's just sort of you wrestling with all of those skeletons in the closet that haven't been forgiven yet. And that's why forgiveness is the only practice yeah. you need to move through a dark night. It's like whatever the mind puts in your face and says, yeah, but remember when you did this, you just say, yes, and I forgive myself. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know who I was. I forgive myself for that. What can the mind say to that? You just de- depleted your identity from it. Mm-hmm. So then it shows you another thing and another thing. And that will just continue to play out until that inertia calms down and there feels like some peace and some space within you again. And at that point, you know, it's a really beautiful thing because, yeah, it's really painful. Yeah, it's, it's tough. But you're burning through loads of karma so quickly that the results will be just infinitely worth the price you pay to get there. If that makes sense. Yes, it does. Um, So what would you say about the role of a guru in the life of someone who is experiencing the dark night of the soul? Would people, should people seek for help or like um, just try to handle it themselves in meditation? Like what would you say would be the best course of action? I am a huge proponent for finding a teacher or a guru if you can, because it's just, such a powerful way to catalyze your own growth because truthfully the guru is in you right life life is the supreme guru and life is already being your guru and pointing you to all the points of awareness you need to see life is exposing your ignorance all the time but the problem is most people are just still too blind to be able to see the guru in So if that's the case, then an external guru, somebody who has realized within yourself. So all all that a guru truly does is mirror your state of consciousness back to you to give you a very clear chance to Mm -hmm. see your own ignorance and then remove it. The guru can't make you self-realize. The guru can't, you know, do any of the work for you, but they can make it a lot easier for you to do the work on you by giving you constant ample opportunities to see your own ignorance, often in sometimes uncomfortable or painful ways. Um, The guru is really that guiding hand of love that sometimes needs to give you a bit of a smack, other times showers you with grace, but it always gives you exactly what you need when you need it. And at a certain point, if you, if you find that intelligence at work in your life, you realize, man, my own life circumstances, literally every moment is showing me what I'm not seeing, is exposing my blindness. You'll find a certain momentum builds in your own life where you don't, you don't even need an external guru anymore because you're learning lessons at such a rapid pace from your own life that the supreme guru of the universe has really made its home in you. And at that point, yeah, you don't need one. But until you get to that place, I think uh, an external guru is certainly very helpful. 
mm-hmm. yeah I, I agree with that <laughs> completely agree you know it's um, definitely helps when uh, somebody who's been through that would wake up the guru within yourself like help you at least you know be the catalyst or you know because it's it's not like they would tell you the instructions of what needs to be done it's more about right. you yourself realizing that the guru is within yourself right yeah life yeah. is your guru like you said it's beautifully said yeah, yeah. okay well it's almost, almost uh, an hour so i was uh, uh hoping you could let people know how you personally help people uh you know who are on their spiritual path you know what you have coming up any you know programs or you know options for people to connect with you so what do you have on the go Aaron this day so people could benefit from it in uh, you know and and uh, you know get some help with their spiritual process yeah well i teach all of these ideas on my youtube channel um usually post a couple of videos a week and uh probably the best place to start for people would be my playlist series called mind science which is just all about mm-hmm. the the nature of the mind the science of how the mind or ego works and um, if people want to go deeper than that i have a few courses available i actually just released a free four-week master class called the four yogas which each week takes you through one of the four yogas of raja yoga karma yoga bhakti yoga and jnana yoga And it's actually designed to be Mm -hmm. like a free sample of my eight-week master class. So people can take that for free on my YouTube channel. And uh, if they like it and want to go deeper, then they can book a discovery call and uh, speak with somebody on my team and kind of decide if the eight-week course is right for them. And um, yeah, I've always got a bunch of speaking engagements and expos and things like that coming up. Um, I have a law of one show on Gaia coming up. That's going to be really exciting. So yeah, lots of ways to connect for sure. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for all the work that you are doing. I know that it probably for you, it doesn't even feel like work because you just, you know, do it with passion is expressing who you truly are. So thank you for doing all that, Aaron, and helping humanity to experience life on, you know, more pleasant, more uh, joyful level. Um, We will be in touch. Thank you, everybody, for joining. Um, And, uh, yeah, I hope that we will connect again in the future. Most certainly. Thank you so much, Mira, for having me on. It's been a blast. We'll talk soon. Yeah. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Much love. Bye, everyone. Much love. Yeah, bye.